Welcome into another edition of the Hops and Spirits Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green, and we will have Derek DeFranco here with us in a second. Well, he's kind of here already, but we'll be talking to him in a second. Uh, don't forget to check out some of our past episodes. We had a fun January. We did our very first flight night with Barrel Bourbon, and we had our very first Under the Influence Roundtable series where we talked uh, all things beer with none other than Brian Roth, editor and writer at Good Beer Hunting, uh, Neil Witte, Master Cicerone, owner, founder of Tabstar and Craft Quality Solutions, and Kenzie Bernhard, host of Boys Are From Mars and Podcasts, writer for PorchDrinking.com and a bartender uh, here in Kentucky as well. A lot of fun stuff happening in January, and now we're kind of kicking it into a different kind of gear with February, flavorful, flavorful February. we got a great lineup. Not only are we talking with Derek, but we're going to have Starlight Distillery's Christian Huber on to talk how whiskey gets its flavor. We'll talk unique recipes to make some wild whiskeys with the boys from Foundry Distillery. And we'll close out the month with another flight night, but this time on the beer side of things. But now we're joined by Derek DeFranco, owner and head brewer of Mirror Twin. And Derek, welcome back, because you were my very first guest. Yeah, it was uh, an honor, and it's an honor to be back. Well, I I really appreciate it. And we'll be talking kind of how you guys make uh, wild beers. And when I say wild beers, you guys do some different things. You do cereal beers, you do Girl Scout cookie beers, all sorts of different kinds of styles. So we'll kind of talk about how that process works. But I like to start off everything nowadays with one tough question. Sometimes it is tough, sometimes not so much. Uh, but for you, since Mirror Twin has none other than Rolling Oven and it's uh, two breweries or two buildings, um, I figured I'd ask you the tough question. What's your favorite pizza? <laughs> Uh, you know, that is a tough question because, you know, all pizza is just so good, but I would say the one that I have the most is the Buffalo chicken without banana peppers. Cause some that don't like banana peppers, it's just on a pizza. It's not my favorite, but, uh, the Ficasa is really good too. Just a olive oil base and fresh mozzarella. You can't beat that. I was gonna say, I know I'm always a sucker for good pepperoni pizza too, so I can, I can never go wrong there uh, with their their many choices. And I just, I just love pizza. It's it's the perfect combination of pizza and beer. So, um, yeah, and it works I mean, perfectly at Mirror Twin too. Coffee and donuts move aside, right? Pizza and beer is the new <laughs> new pairing. Exactly. Oh. Although you guys do some uh, beer and uh, uh, donuts too, right? If I'm not mistaken, we've done that. Yep. <laughs> So now, now to kind of get into this flavorful February, you guys make crazy beers, but just to simplify it, how does just making beer in general go? Because I've done it once on the homebrew brew side, made an entire mess. Um, <laughs> but but I'm sure you guys have it down to a little bit more of a science. No, we're still winging it. <laughs> uh, so the basic premise, the process is. We take malted barley, we uh, mill it, so it, we've got, uh, so the basic premise, the process is we take malted barley, we, uh, we uh, mill it, so it, we've got the, the shell ex- kind of ex- uh, crushed and the inside exposed, we call it the endosperm, and uh, we mix it with hot water. And we call that process the mash. It's very similar to like whiskey. It's just the ingredients are different. So we let uh, the 
you know, now milled grain sit with hot water for about an hour. Um, enzymes that were created in the malting process start to break down the starches into simple sugars. So we call that the sacrification rest. We let it sit for an hour and we separate the liquid from the grain. And as we're doing that, we'll spray it with hot water mm -hmm. to rinse as much sugar out of the grain as we can. The more sugar we can get from the grain, the less grain we have to use per batch. And when you brew professionally, that becomes really important because every dollar counts. So we transfer that over to our boil kettle. We boil it for an hour. We add hops to that process. And depending on the style of beer, we'll add hops either uh, at the beginning of the boil all the way through the 60 minutes of the boil. Then we'll let that rest for a little bit. And then we will uh, pump it out of the kettle through what's uh, called a heat exchanger. It cools it very quickly into our fermenters. We'll add yeast and uh, let the yeast kind of do the work from there. The yeast will start to consume those simple sugars and create ethanol and carbon dioxide as a byproduct. That process takes uh, about seven to 10 days. And then the, the complete process takes just on average about two weeks. Um, once the beer is done, we'll taste test it, make sure that it doesn't have any flavors that we don't want make sure that it's fermented out perfectly. We will take a, uh, a reading of how much sugar uh, it started with and then how much sugar it ends with. From there, we will drop the temp temperature of the tanks to about 33, 31 degrees, and then we will carbonate it. And we'll test it, make sure the carbonation is at the level we want, and then we'll package it. And from there, it either goes on tap or into a can or to a restaurant or bar. And I was going to say, as you talk there, uh, I was going to say, as you talk there, to me, there's a lot, a lot more science that goes into beer or whiskey, any any type of alcohol, really, than I think most people think, because you have to watch as you go, because it can go a little haywire, I'm guessing, at times. Yeah. It's not an exact science. I mean, one of the things that really drew me to brewing in the first place is that it's a really good balance between science and art. Mm -hmm. The science obviously is a lot of biology and chemistry. And the art is kind of knowing when to add certain ingredients, knowing what ingredients will work well together and knowing how to troubleshoot issues when they do arise. And it's not a perfect science. It uh, sometimes things do go haywire. And luckily, a lot of that is controlled through good process. And we do kind of have it down to a science where it's been a long time since we've had to dump a beer down the drain. And that does happen. But it's really just controlling the basis of it, the, the the most basic things that you do to make sure that every batch turns out the way you want it is sanitation, um, making sure everything's sanitized from the time it comes out of the kettle to the time it goes into the fermenter and, and they're on. And then controlling the fermentation temperature, which is a lot easier when you're a professional brewer because you have very expensive systems that do that for you. At home brewer, it's a lot more difficult because a lot of people don't have access to those. Mm -hmm. And the final thing is just making sure that the yeast is 
healthy and ready to do the job. And if you can control those three things, then you can make sure that you're not going to have a lot of issues or have it to dump a, a beer down the drain. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm sure that's not not a fun day around around the uh, the brewery when when that happens because there's a lot of time and effort that goes into it. Yeah, and I mean a lot of times you don't know that it needs to be dumped until all that time and effort has been spent. So, and you know it's it's I think every brewer loves what they do and the product that they craft and to have to you know, pour down the drain is, is always not pleasurable, but <laughs> I would rather dump a beer down the drain than, you know, serve a bad beer to our customers. Well, absolutely. Cause I mean, the goal is obviously to make things consistent so they know what they're always going to get and then make sure it's of high quality if it's kind of a, a special one-off. So they keep coming back. Um, uh, now, now, one thing I find interesting, I'm a big fan of sour beers uh, or, or even fruited beers. How does that process work? Because obviously you're adding something maybe a little different than you normally would and an actual fruit into the process, which can cause, you know, that that's got its own side of alcohol and sugars uh, that come about it. So how does mm-hmm. that, that process work when you're trying to make those fruited beers, sour beers, or any beer that kind of has a, a fruit base in it? You know, so for a while when we opened, we didn't do a whole lot of sours. And the reason for that is because the best way to do sours like that is what we call a kettle sour. And when we started on our three barrel system, there just, we were having a hard time keeping up with just the normal beers that we're And when you make a sour like that, you are basically, um, holding up your kettle for several days. So Mm -hmm. then when we upgraded our system about two years ago, it's been a little bit more than that. We were now had the capacity to start making them. So we, most brewers do this when it comes to these salad beers, it's called a kettle sour. So what we'll do is, is we go through the process. We make that wort, which is what the liquid is called before it's beer and we will inoculate it with bacteria and the bacteria will produce primarily lactic acid and that's what gives it that sour tart flavor that process takes 24 48 hours sometimes a little bit longer depending on what strain of bacteria that you use but it needs to be kept at a pretty warm temperature because that's the bacteria like that temperature that's why we do it in the kettle Mm -hmm. Uh, the other reason is because bacteria is not something you want in what we call clean beers, you know, like our blonde ales, red ales. We don't want any bacteria in that beer because it spoils it. It makes it sour. So putting bacteria in your fermenter after fermentation is always kind of a scary situation because if any of that bacteria lingers on a gasket or, a, a you know, a, what we call a, a dark side in the tank where the cleaning process may not get to it, then you might have beers that are supposed to be clean that turn into sours and you don't want that. Mm -hmm. So doing it in the kettle allows us to inoculate the sour in the kettle, let it get to the pH we want, 
and then we can boil it and basically kill that bacteria before it goes into our fermenter, kind of dodging that situation of having to deal with live bacteria in a tank. Now, that's not to say that we haven't had beers sour in tanks, but then cleaning those tanks, you just are very thorough. You pull every piece and part. You just you, you don't want to have to do that every single time you clean a tank. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I mean, there are gaskets that you just hold all the parts together and you don't really need to to disassemble them every single time. They get cleaned normally through what we call the CIP process, the clean in place process that we use to clean all of our tanks. So that's how we sour the beer. That's how we get that tart flavor in there. Um, and then when we add the fruit, the difficulty, like you said, is fruit has fermentable sugar. Mm-hmm. And so you have to balance the, you have to balance adding like when you're going to add the fruit, because if you add it right from the beginning, what's going to happen is that yeast is just going to ferment the the sugars that make the fruit sweet. And so instead of getting this nice fruit flavor, you're just going to get this really harsh alcohol flavor. So when we first started doing our sours we added the fruit all during what we call the cold side process so um after the tank had been had what we call cold crashed you know been down to 30 degrees mm-hmm. the problem with that is if you don't ferment any of the sugars and you package that product and it cans is where you see the issue and someone takes that beer home and they let it get warm mm. if there's any living yeah. yeast still in the beer which you know we don't pasteurize and so it will start to re-ferment and you can get the the gushers and we've had it happen to us and it's something we it it, it it's not something we want to happen and yeah, obviously we don't it's not our goal to make a unshelf stable product but mm-hmm. you know you still want to get that fruit flavor so what we've started to do is add the fruit we'll add half of it during active fermentation about a couple days before the end so the yeast will kind of ferment out those sugars and since they're so they're so simple it kind of like tuckers the yeast out so they basically go dormant and settle out and then we'll add the rest of the fruit after it's cold crash and we found that doing that really helps to prevent that re-fermentation now yeah. The big question is, like, in what way do we get our fruit? Um, and obviously, one way is to get whole fruit and then kind of process it into a puree ourselves, which would probably be cheaper, but so time-consuming that it wouldn't really be cheap. <laughs> it yeah, wouldn't be cheap. So yeah. the way to buy almost all of our fruit that goes into those sours is in a puree form. And there are several companies, I mean, probably more than I even know that that's all they do is make these fruit purees. So, Interesting. and they're aseptic. Um, they come in, uh, you know, like aseptic bags. Mm-hmm. We uh, just either will dump them directly into the tank or we'll um, we have, these kegs, we, we, we kind of call them brinks. Um, a lot of times we use them to harvest and, and reuse our yeast, but uh, there's a four-inch port on the top that we can take off 
and put back on. So we'll add the fruit into there and then pump it into our tanks with a uh, with CO2. And then do, do, you kind of talked about kind of the kettle side of things. Do sours take a little bit longer for every bit of the process in terms of letting it have to sit and, and, and so forth so it's not maybe as quick of a turnaround and ties up a little bit of a, equipment for a bit? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I mentioned earlier when it came to our three-barrel system, which is why it was so hard for us to make kettle sours on that small system. So it, it ties up the kettle for 24 to 48 hours. So it is something that takes a little bit more time in planning than normal beers. But it's definitely worth it. It's something that people really like and kind of why we do the crazy fun beers is because we, you know, we aim to, to make, you know, make our customers happy. And we want to make the beers that people want to drink. And, you know, sometimes as brewers, we can be kind of stubborn and, you know, stick to the styles that are classic. But to me, the evolution of what beer is, is the fun part about being a brewer and throwing a bunch of donuts or Reese's peanut butter cups in beer is a pain in the butt, but is, is the part. I was going to say, how, how did you guys come up with, because one of the most recent ones you did that to me was wild was the pastry style where you literally had worked with one of the local donut shops in Lexington and did you guys just literally dump donuts into the beer? Is that kind of how it worked? I mean, I know it's probably a little more than that, but is that the gist? No, that's it. That's basically it. Uh, we, so, you know, we made this base Imperial milk stout that we knew we were going to basically turn into several different variations of, you know, pastry stouts. Cause that's kind of, you know, people really, really like that style of beer now. So we made this Imperial milks out. It was 8.8% uh, is how it turned out. And we, we have this tank that we bought specifically for doing stuff like this. And it's about three and a half barrels, which is about 120 gallons. And it has a lid that we can completely take off. Okay. And okay. it's, you know, most of our fermenters have a manway door. Let's say once there's liquid in there, you can't open it. Or you're going to have a bad time if you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that allows us to add ingredients like this. So the way we do it, and, you know, we have a really good relationship with Spalding's Donuts. They're right behind us. Mm -hmm. And one mm -hmm. of the workers there every Friday will, he, he didn't do this during the pandemic, obviously, but for the longest time. And he, he just recently started resuming when we were able to open back up to the public, but he brings us all the donuts they don't sell, which I think is a testament to how awesome Spalding's is because they make everything fresh every day. And if they don't sell it all, they just give it away, mm -hmm. you know, because they would rather just give those donuts away than sell product that is inferior. And, and we understand that because that's how we feel about our, our beer. So he brought us, what was it? It was a little over a hundred donuts. And, we, we decided to do uh, a mixture between chocolate-covered donuts, uh, cinnamon twist ones, and just regular glazed. And uh, so we buy these. They're like 
strainer bags. Okay. And we okay. basically just sat there and tore all the donuts up into pieces and put them in these strainer bags, tied the bags closed, and then just threw them in the tank. And and then you have and, a beer. Uh, and then, you know, yeah, uh, the the beer will start to kind of soak up the flavor of the donuts. And, you know, you can, there are ways you could mimic the flavor of donuts without actually having to use donuts. But I think a lot of times if you do things like that, where you're using like natural or artificial extracts, it can come off as really artificial and just, it doesn't taste as good. So a lot of times we use the real ingredients. And I think you just get a level of complexity from that. You can't get from just trying to mimic it with extracts. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, is that when it comes to some of your other interesting uh, ideas? Uh, you know, I, I think I went there either last fall or, or whenever, or I, or whenever Girl Scout cookies come out, you guys did some Girl Scout beers. You've done cereal beers. Is that kind of the philosophy behind it is actually go get those actual ingredients and, find a way to infuse them into the the process yeah and the fun thing is when you go to costco and you're buying 40 boxes of uh cinnamon toast crunch cereal the looks people give you like <laughs> man that guy really likes cinnamon toast crunch he probably should be in therapy but yeah we we actual ingredients and infuse them into the beer and that's why a lot of times those releases, especially the Mirror Mondays, are so limited because the actual process of adding those into the beer is just difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so scaling that up into a much larger size is sometimes just too difficult for us to do with the equipment we have. And so that's why we do such small batches. Also, you know, when, you, when you're doing things like that, it's kind of a shot in the dark. Mm -hmm. And you'd rather not, you know, ruin how many gallons of beer before you kind of test it out. And that's kind of what the Mirror Monday is. You know, obviously, it's our way of being able to experiment and, and do crazy things. But it's also kind of a, hey, let's see how this turns out in one keg. And if it goes well, we can extrapolate everything into a larger batch but if it stinks i would much rather yeah, yeah you know yeah, dump one yeah, keg yeah, of beer yeah. down the drain than a lot yeah no that that's definitely a smart business decision there um, like when you're putting that that stuff in whether it's girl scout cookies um you kind of talked about it a little bit with the donuts is it in that kind of strainer bag or, or sometimes is it thrown into the the mash or or kind of whatever stage it is like because i know you guys do like reese's and different things as well like um, it, how, do you guys do the, the strainer bags or do you throw them in, in the process? So there are a couple times where we've done things like that, like with pumpkin puree, for instance, when we add it to the mash, but a lot of times either the temperature of the match, which is anywhere between 140 and 156 degrees, will kind of denature anything that, you know, the flavor that we will get out of it. So most of the time, I would say probably 95% of the time we're adding the, the fun stuff, the donuts, the Reese's, the cereals in the cold side part of it, because 
that's when the beer is really going to take up most of the flavor without uh, denaturing a lot of things that you just you wouldn't even see the flavor in the final product without having to either, like I said, kind of use extracts or um, adding those ingredients all in secondary fermentation. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, so most of the time then, we use the strainer bags. Okay, because I was curious. I was like, did, how do you get that, that out? If you're dumping a whole, you know, you're dumping 40 boxes of uh, cinnamon toast crunch in there. How do you get that out with it out kind of going with the beer? Uh, so, you know, we just reach our hand into the keg and just pull the whole bag out. Um, <laughs> uh, in the tanks, when we, when we, we make the really big batches, sometimes we'll just take like, um, they make these strings that are basically not aseptic. They don't come that way, but you can sanitize them. And, and so we'll use those and kind of tie them off to something so we can fish the bags out but yeah that's pretty much how we do it it's yeah, it's so it's very crude <laughs> i mean sometimes we're like halfway in the tank someone's holding the, our legs on a ladder so <laughs> i was gonna say i'm sure that would be a sight a sight to see but it, in, in reality though it's almost like a tea bag like because you've got you can pull yeah. it back out and it gives it the flavor exactly i mean that is 100 percent in essence what it's like and you know, the thing that's amazed us uh, even through the process is how much of the flavor actually comes through on the final product. Mm -hmm. no, I, I was gonna say, I can attest to that. Having some of the different beers, you, you really do feel like you're tasting, you know, a cinnamon toast crunch. I mean, it, it's, I mean, you're not biting down on it, so, so to speak, but you do get the, those notes in there. And that to me is amazing. What, what are some of the, 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 more fun you've had with the, the styles that you've created, you know, cause not everyone obviously is like me. That's been able to go to mirror twin and try them out. That's, that's listening or watching. So what are some of the fun ones that you guys have done? We've talked about the donut beer that you just recently did uh, cereal beers. What, what kind of cereal what beers did you all end up doing? So, uh, the cereal beers are kind of where the craziness started and that is kind of a funny story because when I was a home brewer, I love cinnamon toast crunch. It's one of my favorite cereals. And I made, I ended up making a brown ale, which eventually was kind of the catalyst to everything that tasted like cinnamon toast crunch. And the way I did that was I kind of, you know, had this blend of like cinnamon and vanilla. And one day we were all sitting and talking about the Mirror Monday stuff and kind of how we could expand on it. And we started joking about how there's a day for everything. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, National Blue Paint Day. And, and so it just so happened that in a couple of weeks it was National Cereal Day. And we started talking about how when I was a homebrewer, I made a beer taste like cinnamon toast crunch and it just kind of naturally became this well let's take you know five or six of our beers and fuse them with cereal and and see what happens and so that's kind of what started all the the crazy fun stuff and um <clears throat> the fun part was 
figuring out what beers were going to pair with what cereals. So obviously we knew Cinnamon Toast Crunch worked really well in the brown ale. And then it was, okay, well, you know, our, our wit beer, our wheat ale has this kind of nice orange flavor to it. It would probably pair really well with something like Trix or something fruity or the blonde ale, which is kind of it's just a very light beer. So it, it would kind of just be susceptible to take on kind of any flavor. And uh, my second favorite cereal is Honey Bunches of Oats. And so we chose that one. And then obviously things that had like a really good chocolate note to them, like uh, Cocoa Puffs is going to be good in a porter or a stout. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, we sat around and, and every year we try to do, you know, we, we do the repeatable ones like the Cinnamon Toast Crunch because it's a fan favorite. And then also we try to pick a different cereal every year with a different beer. And then I was going to say, I mean, you, you've done other things. Is there anything that's like off limits uh, in terms of your creativity when it comes to trying these with these wild styles or these wild infusions? Um, <clears throat> not, you know, not really, obviously illegal ingredients are off limits. So, you know, no <laughs> yeah. drugs, Yeah. But, but, you know, outside of that, I mean, there's not really, I mean, we, the, so it, I'm, I'm what is technically called the head brewer mm-hmm. and I have two assistant brewers. And all of us just kind of enjoy, you know, the fun of adding those ingredients to beers. And so, I mean, we've done Pixie Sticks, we've done Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, we've done Skittles, uh, Starburst, Starburst, by and far away, was the most pain in the butt thing we've ever done. <laughs> because we had to, we bought them, and they we thought it was going to be like a bulk situation. Nope. They were all individually wrapped. <laughs> so we just sat in the tap room on un- just unwrapping hundreds of uh, of starbursts. <laughs> it was it was uh, my fingers hurt gonna, at the end of the day. I was gonna say that was probably a very long day at the brewery. It it uh, it wasn't my favorite. Let's just put it that way. Also, uh, my. Uh, my laptop battery is about to die, um, so I need to text my brewer to bring my charger over real quick. So I, I apologize. No, 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 no worries. I, I was going to say, ha, are you ever going to do the uh, starburst again, or are you going to try to figure out a way to make sure you're not unwrapping every single individual? Definitely. So we'll do it again for sure because it tasted great, but we. Will not do it unless I can find a way to find Starbursts that aren't individually wrapped. <laughs> All right. So before I, I let you go, Derek, uh, my, my last question is: Are you got? Do you have any guys have anything fun coming up on on these crazy wild beers? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you you have to since one you do Mirror Monday every every Monday, but I'm, I'm guessing you've got some fun fun things in in the hopper. So there's two really fun things coming up. Obviously. You know, the Mirror Mondays, there's always something new coming out. But for Valentine's Day, the Monday, I guess, after, we're doing like a Valentine's Day Mirror Twin Tap Takeover where we're infusing beer with some chocolates and 
things that are pretty custom for Valentine's Day celebrations. So that that would be really fun. And then on top of that, banana is like one of my favorite flavors. The problem is a lot of times banana can come off really mm-hmm. artificial if you don't use something that's real banana. So we we bought this banana fruit puree from one of the companies that we normally use. And when we got it, there were stickers on the containers that said, this is not for use in beverages. <laughs> <laughs> That's great yeah. to know. So, after I mean, the obviously the company uh, came and picked it, picked it up and, and refunded us the money. But so we were like, man, like, I guess, you know, we tried to find banana puree and other sources, but we just were not having, you know, any luck. And so we kind of just, we're like, all right, banana, I guess, just isn't something we'll try. We've used like the the chips, but it takes mm-hmm. so many to get any flavor that it's just not worth it. So we were at Urban Artifact because one of the things I had mentioned was that we brewers like to to visit other brewers. You know, we we nerd out on brewing and there's just this really fun connection that brewers have with each other craft brewers in particular because you know we've all gone through the same struggles every one of us has had a beer that we've had to dump or you know especially you know if if you're um have to deal with these kind of like high level things where you know you've had a cooler go bad and you have to fix it and that's that those are the the rough days so we all have this kind of connection and so we went to urban artifact and and we had this just amazing strawberry banana sour and so that kind of got me reinvigorated to the idea of making something with banana and i actually reached out to their brewer and we kind of had a, an email conversation and, and he kind of pointed me in the direction of where to source some banana puree. And so that is going to be something in the pipeline, um, you know, either strawberry banana, obviously, you know, we don't want to mm-hmm. like steal their idea. Uh, and so there are certain things, you know, that are proprietary that brewers don't tell each other, but you know, if it's like, hey, this is how we did this, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're open and honest with each other. Because, I mean, you, you know, it's not going to be the same beer, you know, it, no matter, even if we try to mimic it perfectly. But that's something that's going to be really fun. And yeah, yeah, everyone has their own style. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, the base beer is going to be a different style, but uh, an ur- urban artifact does an amazing job with sours. I mean, it's kind of all they do. And, you know, we've partnered up with Streetside. They do a lot of mm-hmm. fun stuff like we do. And, but, so, you know, that's going to be in the pipeline. And, you know, there's probably going to be some other variants of banana beers because, uh, you know, we're going to have to buy so much banana puree in order to make it the shipping not exceedingly expensive per pound of puree. So it's the fun stuff that's coming out, but 
you know, there's, there's always stuff in the works. And, you know, when the styles change, when, you know, obviously we try to be on the forefront of creating new things, but a lot of times there's so many breweries out there and there's so many good breweries out there that we're all kind of coming up with new stuff all the time. And when there's a new style, you know, pastry stouts are a pretty new thing. The, the slushy sours, the new England PAs, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that comes out and, and that's what people want. That's the stuff that we're going to make. And obviously we still make the light lagers and the stylistic beers that are more traditional, but the fun part is really taking that stuff and figuring out, okay, this is a milk stout. It's pretty good. But how can I make it taste like Snickers candy? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I like that idea. So we've so uh, we've done that. We've we've uh, we actually uh, we put Snickers bars in our brown ale. Okay. And it was called uh, "You're Not You When You're Thirsty." <laughs> I, I love that. And Derek, I, I appreciate you coming on here and talking all these things because. Like I said, you guys do some fun things, um, and I feel like every place, where, or at least hopefully every place that folks are listening to has a brewery near them that does fun, exciting things like like you all because it's fun to watch. It's fun to taste them, uh, whether it's just going to the brewery and, and doing a little, little flight, flight of beers or even getting some cans to go on, on some of your styles that you do that. it's it, I, I love it, and I'm amazed that you know a strainer bag like a tea bag is how it, sometimes it's done. I learned something today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, you know, very much appreciate you having me on. It's brewing is something that we're all very, you know, all my brewers and I are all very passionate about. And so I love getting the opportunity to kind of share that passion with other people. And a lot of times it's via the beer that we make. And, you know, that's something that I think you can tell when you go to a brewery, you can tell what the brewers are passionate about because more than likely it's the best beer that they make, you know? So if, if the brewers are passionate about making the best crispest light lager, that's going to be the best beer. And it's not to say that their other beers are bad. It's just to say like, that's what they're going to focus on the most. And for me, for a long time, the new England style IPA was like my white whale (laughs) because we made one, and it turned out so well. And then every batch we made subsequent to that seemed to just be not as good. And so we just, I, I put all my, my mental capacity towards how to get that style, how to make that style the best way we could. And you had beers coming out of Treehouse and Trillium and, and Mile Wide and Louisville was making some great ones. They still do. And all these breweries making great ones. And so we, we just, you know, that's, you see a lot of those on our board and you see a lot of variations of them. Cause that's what one of the beers that we got passionate about one, because mm-hmm. it, you know, it was the bane of our existence, <laughs> but also because there's so much fun stuff you can do with it. And, you know, whether it's, you know, adding fruit or really the fun thing is how many different hops are coming out on the market that are just really well suited for the style. And so 
that's the you know that's what makes our our job fun is is just getting to play with stuff like that and so you know hopefully people see that passion expressed not only in the beer that we make but also you know when we get to have interactions with our customers and that's the fun thing about being a craft brewery is that you know i get to go out and sit in the tap room and talk with people and is something that i never take for granted well and i was gonna say i mean you talked about it earlier where uh you know it's it's a little bit of science and art and that that's that side of uh that create creativity doing different flavors different different types of fruit different types of hops that's where you get to be a little bit more of an artist and uh, really really shine in my mind yeah and we as brewers that's what drives us to keep making beer i mean i've been brewing professionally now for a little over six years and one of the things I was always worried about was, you know, am I ever going to lose that passion? I did a lot of research and, you know, read some books about, you know, starting a brewery. And, you know, obviously when I was writing my business plan and through the process, and one of the things that the guy, a guy who wrote a book about the subject talked about was, you know, if you're a home brewer, which is what I was, and that's how I kind of got into brewing well that is how i got into brewing is it was it was a hobby and it was something that i enjoyed doing i mean you know it was either should i go play golf today or brew beer it's like <laughs> i think i'm gonna brew beer because at the end of it i get to drink beer <laughs> yep and so one of the things that yeah. you know it talks about is if you take a hobby and you turn it into something that your livelihood is now depend on that passion that you had for might not be there anymore. And so one thing that I was worried about was losing that passion. And, you know, the thing about making a process repeatable is it sometimes kind of turns into something mundane. And so doing those fun beers is what keeps us loving what we do. And I can tell you that like every single time we do something outside the box, I'm kind of giddy about getting <laughs> to taste it. Uh, I was, and, you know. No, I was going to say, and, and it, it always comes through that you can tell you guys are passionate because the, the flavors are there, the quality's there, the consistency's there. And to me, that's the sign of, of folks that are still enjoying their job. Yeah, and we do. And hopefully that doesn't go away anytime soon. And, you know, the pandemic, obviously, is a rough patch. I mean, we survived and we, uh, you know, tried to do as best we could, but it was tough. And so I think every brewer in town would tell you that there were times where it was just like, ah, what, what are we doing this for? It's so much work. But because we have that passion and, and we love what we do, I think I can speak for every, you know, brewery in town that we love being a part of the community and 
we are all supportive of each other and we all have that passion. And so we're just going to keep on brewing the best beer we can and having fun while doing it. And hopefully everyone that gets a chance to come to Lexington and try our beer enjoys it as much as we enjoy making it and, and getting to uh, be giddy about tasting all the fun stuff. Well, well, Derek, I, I appreciate you sharing all that that with us, and I appreciate you kind of letting us, you know, behind the curtain, you know, you know, so to speak, of, of the process of everything, and, and giving us a good lesson, and also just making some damn good beer. Well, thank you. Um, you know, that's at the end of the day, what we strive to do is just to make the best beer we can, and make sure that the people who are coming in to taste our beer are getting the best quality product that we can offer. And I absolutely, like I said, love getting to do stuff like this and share my passion. Cause I think on the podcast, we talked about the last one I did with you. We talked about, you know, what my background mm-hmm. is, you know, I went to law school Yep. and, uh, dodged a bullet. I could be practicing <laughs> law right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, 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 I'd be sitting behind a desk, you know, writing some legal brief or sitting here contemplating how we're going to add 200 pounds of bananas to something, you know, <laughs> it's a lot more fun. <laughs> no, no doubt about that. And I appreciate it, Derek. Absolutely. Can't wait to be on again. Uh, Flavorful February is off to a wild start. I really appreciate Derek uh, DeFranco hopping on there to ta- talk a little bit about uh, how they create those uh, wild beers, those really creative beers. Uh, like I said, hopefully you've got a brewery doing that near you. And if not, uh, maybe you can stop by Lexington, Kentucky and Mirror Twin Brewing to see all the fun things they're doing. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Spirits, all one word. Why? Well, we do a whole bunch of fun stuff, including... Every Sunday night now are Give It a Try 60-second highlights where we'll be highlighting a different bourbon, whiskey, beer, or cocktail every week, kind of giving you a breakdown of what to expect so you can see if you want to give it a try. And also, if you haven't yet, you need to sign up for our Drinking Buddies Club. It's our monthly giveaway club. It's free, and it's so simple to sign up. Just go to any of our social media pages at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Click the link. And just sign up. It's free. It takes just a couple minutes. And you could be like Charlie who won our January giveaway of some amazing beers. But didn't I just say it's a new giveaway every month? Well, it is. And in February, we've got an amazing lineup for for you all to win. It's seven different whiskeys, 50 milliliters of each. So you get like a small 350 milliliter bottle to to try. So, So what could you win? How about this? Cascade Moon Edition number two small batch, which is at least 16 years old. George Dickel Single Barrel 15-year-old, Barrel Craft Spirits Bourbon 15-year-old lineup, the Barrel Armedia, which is bourbon whiskey finished in brandy, rum, Sicilian Amaro cask, Starlight Distillery's Double Oaked Bourbon, Traverse City Whiskey's Barrel Proof Bourbon, and last but not least, Middle West Spirits Straight Rye Dark Pumpernickel Whiskey. That's right, a plethora of flavors to try and a, a whole bunch of different years uh, and ages to try as well. So remember, just sign up for our Drinking Buddies Monthly Giveaway Club. Go to any of our social media, click on the link. It's free. What, what are you waiting for? Go do it now. And until next time, cheers, everyone. <laughs>